Let's bow in a word of prayer together. Our holy God, we thank you. We thank you for all the opportunities you place around us. God, I pray that we would always focus on you, that we would keep you at the center. God, I pray you'd open our hearts, our minds today, that we would hear whatever it is you'd have us hear. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. This week I've um, been kind of going through reflection time in my life, uh, kind of thinking about the ups and downs, the wins, the losses, some of the joy, and some of the pain. Uh, it's all it's all a part of life. And then I started thinking about my life as a pastor. You know, realize that I have been leading for so long that it's really hard for me to remember a time when I wasn't leading. And I was thinking about when God called me to ministry because in a very short order, it kind of consumed me. I've often said God wrecked me because the whole trajectory of my life changed. In fact, I've been forever changed because of that. And and I realized I started thinking differently. I, I started seeing people and things differently. And I realized that it changed the way that when I look at people. I mean, I always see someone that is fearfully and wonderfully made. When I meet someone for the first time and I look in their eyes, I I see a person with God-given potential. I see someone that God loves so much that he sent his son to die for them. And I realized I started kind of keeping score different. I was seeing wins and losses in different terms. And that kind of started demanding more of, of myself. And there came a point where I realized everything that I am, every gift, every talent that that I bring to the table, every flaw, and everything I have, there was some point where I just go, "It's, it's yours, God. It's yours. And when I first took that step as a leader, God started using me. And I, and I started seeing lives changed for eternity. And when that happened, it changed everything, absolutely everything in my life. Um, my heart started beating different. I started seeing everything in light of eternity. Through the years, um, I've tried to be faithful to God. And I have... Um, been willing to follow God and trust God. And it's interesting because God has always strengthened me. God has uh, always um, expanded my sphere of influence through the years. And I am fully aware, as I stand here, I am fully aware of how many times God has stepped in. I mean, I've, I've lacked the octane I've lacked the knowledge. I've lacked the strength at points. And what I have come to know is that God fills in when I trust him. 
And what I have come to know, okay, not just believe, but I've come to know that with God, all things absolutely are possible. And I know that. And as a pastor, I am keenly aware of the responsibility that God has entrusted me with. And leading is demanding sometimes. And leading has always come at a cost. But friends, I'll tell you, I would not have it any other way in my life. I can't imagine it any other way. And I can tell you that I have now for almost 30 years, I mean, since I first accepted that call and said, I'm in, I'll lead, whatever you want, God. I can tell you today, my heart beats stronger, more passionate than ever. And part of it has to do with the sphere of influence. I realize how much is at stake. And any time I have faced leadership challenges, and I've had multiples through, through my ministry, I always turn to God and just say, you know what, God? I need help. And I've just focused my prayers and whatever, whatever it is that the challenge is. And then I usually see where God, through his Holy Spirit, and he does guide, but see where God leads me to focus my scripture reading and things. And lately I've been studying and reflecting from the book of Nehemiah. I love Nehemiah. It's probably one of my favorite favorite books. But as I've been reading through that, it just reminds me that leaders face challenges and struggles and that it's something that you, you have to face. And that faithfulness to God is key. And when I read the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah's faithfulness to God is amazing. In fact, it's one of the more amazing stories in, in Scripture. You know, God's people, Israel, was living in captivity. They were in exile in, in Babylon. And they are finally, there comes a point where they are released and told they can go home, go to their homeland. And when they arrive in Jerusalem, they find the capital city is in ruin. It's in ruin spiritually, morally, and physically. It's a mess. And the people have this enormous um, obstacle, challenges that they're, they're having to face. The walls of the city are, are torn down, which in those days, that meant you were vulnerable to attack. You were exposed to the enemy. And God's people are, are kind of struggling. In fact, they're overwhelmed at a point. And God calls a guy by the name of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah, when he first learns about the condition in Jerusalem, it shakes him. I mean, I think part of it, it was his family's hometown. And he's hearing what it's like back home. He hasn't been there yet. But what he hears haunts him. The images are haunting. He can't seem to shake it. And I was thinking, isn't that how God works? I mean, when God calls, he he puts a situation on your heart. 
in that situation changed him. It changed Nehemiah forever. Nehemiah is praying and, and fasting. He's, he's seeking God's guidance and wisdom. And then he starts formulating a plan. You see, Nehemiah is changing. God's changing him so he can use him. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king, which that's a fancy word for saying you get to sip the drinks and taste the food and see if there's poison in it. And if you don't die, then the king will eat what's left. Nehemiah and the king are close. I'm going to guess they were really close. He's in his presence on a daily basis. Nehemiah, these images are hitting him. I think his heart started beating different. I think that when he realized the situation in Jerusalem, it consumed him. It wrecked him. And his countenance changed. Because what we know is the king spots him one day. And I'm going to guess he could tell he was carrying a a weight on his shoulders. And the king's like, what's wrong? And Nehemiah just shares what's on his heart. He shares about the situation in Jerusalem. And the king responds, and this is why I think they, they were somewhat close. He goes, what do you want me to do? Nehemiah's been thinking about it a long time. And if you read the story, Scripture says that he then made a very detailed request for supplies, things that he needed to accomplish the task. Then he says, you know, I need to be reassigned. And I need to be relocated to Jerusalem. And it's interesting because the king says it's done. Now, do you know why the king granted that? Why did he grant that request? Well, Nehemiah tells us, he says, And the king granted me what I asked, for the gracious hand of my God was upon me. Nehemiah responds to God's call. He commits himself to rebuilding Jerusalem. And he is absolutely aware that God's hand is on him. That God's hand has been leading him. He arrives in Jerusalem. He goes about gathering up information, assessing the situation. He puts together, develops a a plan of action to rebuild the city. And then he gathers all the people together. Maybe a place much like this. And he says, here's what God's put on my heart. Here's what we need to do. And the people join him. And they start rebuilding the city. They start rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem. And it's interesting because Scripture says that everybody got involved. Not just the contractors. Everybody. In fact, uh, Nehemiah, the third chapter, if you read it, it records that not only were the contractors doing it, the builder types, but it names family after family after family because I think they wanted us to understand something. In that, you know, the text says that the goldsmith was in building, rebuilding the the wall. A perfume maker was working alongside them. 
I figure working hard and smelling good, but you know. Even talks about a dad and he has his little girls helping him. And it gives this picture when, when you read that chapter that you got everybody's jumping in doing, doing what they're capable of doing. And things are moving along. In fact, scripture says, so we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height for the people worked with all their what? Heart. That's a powerful statement. People are sacrificing. People are working hard. People are excited. Things are cruising along. They're seeing progress. They're seeing results. Things are in high gear. They're off to this fantastic start. 100% buy-in. People are pumped. And they're working with every bit of heart that they've got. And then, as often happens, when there are great challenges, great endeavors, the challenge ends up being greater than anticipated. The cost? More costly than everyone counted on. And then the enemy opens the attack. The enemy usually attacks because the enemy wants to discourage people, to slow things down. Nehemiah, Nehemiah 4, 9 and 10 says, But we prayed to our God. And we posted a guard day and night to meet the threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, The strength of the labor is giving out. There's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Do you hear, hear the discouragement in that? Things are running thin. Resources are running low. People are giving out. The enemy is, is poised for, for attack. The situation is getting in here. And I was thinking about when we are doing what God calls us to do, we always face Challenges. We always face tests. In fact, I believe it's part of the evil one's plan to create those obstacles, to make sure that when things are moving on, he presses because he hopes to discourage. He hopes to stop the progress. In fact, I've thought a long time about this. I believe if you don't face challenges in your life, Struggles. If you do not face situations that require faith, you're not doing what God's called you to do. Enemies taunting Nehemiah and God's people, making fun of their efforts as they're trying to rebuild the the wall. And the people are starting to get discouraged. It made the people step back and, and pause and go, you know, can, can, we, can we really do this? Can we rebuild the wall? Can we rebuild Jerusalem? I, I think the uh, non-professional contractors, contractors were comfortable doing this. But I think others started questioning the, the effort. Nehemiah writes this. He says, therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall. 
at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. He's talking about the enemies outside that are threatening to attack them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight. Nehemiah assesses the situation. He he reminds the people, keep your eyes on God. Keep your eyes on God. Ignore the enemy. He encourages them to overcome the obstacles. And then he reminds them what they're fighting for. They're fighting to rebuild Jerusalem spiritually and morally and physically. And then he asks the people, literally, he says, I need you to stand in the gaps. I need you to stand in the gaps. I need you to position yourselves all around this wall in the broken down places, in the holes, in the passages, in the rubble. I need you to stand there with trowel and weapon drawn. And I need you to do it as a family. And they literally placed, and it's recorded in scripture, each family as they stood in different places in the wall. And they worked in those places. And they sacrificed in those places. In fact, they laid their lives on the line. I'm sure some died. But God stirred God's people. And everyone stepped in, and the work continued day and night. They kept working because people were willing to stand in those gaps. Can can you picture that? Can you picture taking your family, your children, weapon in one hand, trowel in the other? Can you feel that? God's people's hearts start beating. And what's interesting, if you, I'd encourage you, it's a great read. It's an easy read. But to read the, the, the book, because God's people, they're, they're working. Weapon, trowel. The enemy looks at the city. They see all the broken down places they could go through. And everywhere they look, there's families. And miraculously, the enemies retreat. They say, we're not, we can't go up against this. They, they see the resolve. I would say they saw the heartbeat of God's people. And scripture says that they, they called it off. This is a huge psychological victory and it's an even bigger spiritual victory because it allowed them to keep working on the wall and they built and rebuilt Jerusalem now Jerusalem had been in ruins for a long time a hundred years prior to Nehemiah Jerusalem was in ruins at that point God saw the need God raised up a leader a hundred years prior, a guy by the name of Ezekiel. He was a prophet. 
And Ezekiel went before God's people. And he asked a very similar thing. He said, I looked for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness. He's talking about the wall around Jerusalem here. That guards the land. I searched for someone to stand in the gap in the wall. And these have to be some of the saddest words. But if you go on down, it says, but I found no one. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. Ezekiel's day, a hundred years before Nehemiah. God looked for someone, raised up a leader and said, I need you to stand in the gap and no one was found. So Jerusalem remained in ruins for almost a hundred years. Now, I want you to think about this. I mean, the leader in me immediately thinks about all the suffering, a hundred years of suffering, a hundred years of losses, a hundred years of missed opportunities, all the generations that were affected, hurt, maybe lost, because no one was found. A hundred years later, same city, same situation, same issues, same things at stake, God raises up a leader by the name of Nehemiah who offers God's people the same opportunity to stand in the gap. And God's people stepped up and they fulfilled that God-given mission. Two different points, Israel's history. Two different God-given opportunities. Two different responses from two different generations. One generation looked, assessed, said, no, I don't think so. And one generation said, I'm going to be God-honoring and I'm going to stand. Two different decisions, two different legacies. You read the end of the book and they finish the wall. Can you imagine? 100 years all that pain, suffering. They finish, they restore the wall, they rebuild Jerusalem. That'd make your heart beat different, wouldn't it? And I believe that the people that stood at that wall that day when they put the last brick, I think they learned something that changed their life forever. I think they learned that there is unbelievable power when God's people pull together, when God's people galvanize around a mission. And I've been reading that, and I think it's something God's trying to teach us, trying to teach faith fellowship. If this is your first or second Sunday with us, I'm glad you're here. but I need to talk to the church family. And so you're welcome to listen. I don't do this very often. But folks that attend here regularly, that call Faith Fellowship home, we have a gap today. We have holes that we have got to fill in. 
And it's kind of complicated getting there, but I want to do a little clarification so that we get on the same page, that we're talking the same terminology. And so I'm going to talk about a couple things. Give me a little bit of time. We'll pull this all together. I want to talk about operating funds. This reflects all the expenses of running a church, the ministries of this church, minus loan payments, okay? If you're thinking about your your family budget, this would be everything but your mortgage payment or your house payment, okay? Operating funds are something that we can adjust from time to time, and we do. And you try and keep it in line with giving. And I'll tell you, this summer has been tight, but that's expected. We're okay when it comes to operating. We're moving forward. The other piece is building funds. If you're sitting thinking about Imagine or Now, those are both capital campaigns that that we have had, you're thinking building fund. It's money that's specifically given for debt retirement. This, this is uh, funds that are used to make our loan payments on, on this building, this property, our, our, everything that we have here. Building fund commitments, if you remember, last October, we made three-year commitments. It was to be through November 2009 through October 2012. 94 households pledged, made commitments of $642,541 to the building fund. And this come in anything from people that give on a weekly basis to one lump sum to all over the map, okay? But those were the commitments. And you'll remember that we had several options when we were, we were looking at goals for, for our, our campaign, and that we met none of those goals. We, we came up short. We, we fell short of uh, even having the basic amount needed to uh, cover our loans for the three years. Okay? So keep that, tuck that back in your brain a little bit. Of the 94 households that committed... We've had 22 households that have made little or no movement on fulfilling their commitment. Now, please understand, I get it that there are extenuating circumstances and that, you know, there are unique things and life changes. And I've I've been meeting with those families and encouraging them to, if, if they're still committed to, you know, kind of reboot and men's life's changed, find a place that, that works for you now. Because I'm trying to get our financial house in, in order, get a more accurate picture of where we are. The commitments of the 22 households, we kind of did a prorate, said if you continue at this, this is what we could expect, resulting in $91,000 deduction in what we believe pledges. So now we've got a revised pledge total of $551,301. That creates an even larger gap in the amount that we need for loans. 
Now, since the building campaign didn't meet our goals, since we, we have some commitments that are not coming in at the rate we thought, we, we knew at some point that we would deplete our reserves. The only question was when. Initially, we thought maybe 15 months into the process that it would, we would drain them. Well, I can answer when's it going to be depleted today. Building funds are depleted, completely depleted. Again, due in part to we didn't meet our goals and unmet commitments. Right now, Faith Fellowship is relying solely on what comes in on a weekly basis. Right now, we do not have what we need to make this month's payment. Now, I want to give some quick stats, um, and then I'll pull this all together. This will kind of help us focus a little bit. But the project, this whole project for everything, was a $3.3 million project. Right now, we have a little over $2.8 million that we owe on, on, on this project. Again, revised total for commitments is $551,301. Money that has already been given over the the past uh, 11 months, $172,860. And that's as of September. Remainder of commitments working off the revised total, is 378441 Our loan payments, okay? Now I'm talking loan payment interest principal through October 2012. Our loan payments are $514,725. The income, that's what we expect of money that will come in, is 378441 That's what we just looked at a minute ago. It creates a shortfall of $136,284. That's a minimum. Now, I am one of these, i got to break things down and get it where I can look at it and manage it. You move to monthly, that's $5,451. You move it per week, you're talking $1,250 per week. That, that is the shortfall. We have a cash flow issue, and I believe two things have to be accomplished. We need a what I'll call cash infusion to increase our reserves, to be able to put money into the building fund uh, so that it will help us for the short short term. Presently, we we don't have enough to make October's payments. We have made everything up to this point. We're in a new ballgame. The second thing that we need to do, besides get a cash infusion, 
is we need to increase commitments. In order to fully meet our loan obligations through October 2012. And the building will not be close to paid off at that point, but it will move us through what is our campaign period. Obvious financial gap. I've been meeting with my exec team. I've been meeting with our leadership team. I met this past week again with our leadership team and talked about where we're at. And I often talk to leaders about we lead by example. And I've asked them to stand in the gap with me. And that's what I'm asking you to do today as a congregation. I believe faith fellowship exists because of God. I believe God called us. And we heard God's call. And we looked at the Riverbend area. And we said, you know what? It needs God. And we decided to gear everything toward making a difference in our area, making a difference in, in this world. And I know absolutely God's hand has been on this church. In fact, I, I, every time I pull on this property, I think about the lives that have been changed, lives that God has marked for eternity here. I find it hard to believe what God has done in Faith Fellowship and through Faith Fellowship in less than six years. Friends, it's utterly amazing. We absolutely, as a congregation, have to remember we belong to God. God is with us. We absolutely have to remember what we are fighting for. What's at stake? And it is eternity, friends. It is people's lives. It's not about this building. It's merely a tool we use. It's about people. It's about changing lives. Our mission since inception has been bring glory to God and mark eternity and mark people's lives. And we do that by reaching people for Jesus Christ and helping people grow in their faith. That is our mission, plain and simple. That is what we live for. That's what we sacrifice for, is to make a difference in those things. And I can tell you our mission is not complete. There is still much, much more to do. And yes, things may be thin. Yes, resources may be low. Yes, some may be tired. Some may have given out. Yes, the economy may be tight. Yes, things may be uncertain. But friends, God makes all things possible. God takes and makes all things possible. We have a hole. We have a gap, financial gap. $1,250 each week, minimum. That's, that's the low end. I thought a long time about this. This is not insurmountable. It's really a heart issue. What's the heartbeat of this church?
It's a heartbeat for God, ministry. Here's what I know. This is where the practical side of me comes out. If every single household that called this home, if every single household just increased $20 a week, the gap's filled. It, it really is about that simple. Now, I'll be careful to say, if you can do more, then honor God and do more. It has never been. You've heard me say often, it is not about equal gifts. It's about equal sacrifice. God has put us all in very, very different places. I know as I've watched my journey, it, it has changed through the years. But what we're talking about is up and beyond what we presently give, whether, whether you give to building and operating, you know, it's up and beyond that. It's up and beyond what you've already committed. Again, I would say to you, if God has put you in a position where you can give some of the money that you've committed, if you can give more of that now, it would greatly take the pressure off. It would put us in a better position. It'd get us out of the week to week going, are we going to have enough to pay the loans? Here's what I'm asking. I'm asking your family to take a stand with Cindy and I. I'm going to ask the ushers if they, you guys got the cards back there. I'll have them pass, pass this out. Are we passing out cards? Thank you. Can I get a card up here, please? (laughs) Can I get a card? Thank you. Cindy's already filled ours out, but um, here's what here's what I'm asking. I'm asking you to take this standing in the gap commitment. I'm asking you to pray about it. I'm asking you to talk to your spouse about it. Sit down with your children. Talk about it as a family. That's a good thing to do with your your kids. And then determine what God would have you do. And then make whatever commitment. You know, fill out the card, place it in the box, and then I'm asking families to take take a stone. Sign your name, family name, whatever, and begin to fill the gap up here um, as a symbol. 
that we're standing together. I want to get back to just focusing on ministry. Now, my leaders, I talked to them earlier this week about this commitment, just like I did with you today. Um, And my leaders today are ready to take a stand. Now, please hear me. If you're at a place, you know, you're listening today and family's with you and you just go, you know, we're in. Okay. That's cool. I applaud that. But it's okay if you're sitting there going, we really need to be able to talk about this. And here's what I'm saying to you very succinctly is if you're in that place today, you go, I know what we're going to do. Then come join us. If you're not, just go home and pray about it. Talk to your family about it. What I don't want is don't take this lightly because there's a lot at stake here. This will be out in the commons next week. You can come in next week. Put a stone on the wall, make make a commitment. But I've got to figure out where we're at. This is um, this is crucial stuff. God has called us, and God's in charge. And friends, I am absolutely clear what we're fighting for. It's not about us. It's about the empty chairs that are around you. It's about the lives that need to be changed. Many of you know what it means to be changed because God changed you through this church. But I'd invite you to stand in the gap. I'm going to ask my leaders to join me and uh, Cindy... And we start standing in the gap together.